You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Uh, so we have all, all of those that didn't actually run the marathon joining us this morning. So uh, I'm with you on that. But you still managed to get through the marathon, so there's, there's, a, there's you know, something to be said about you and your perseverance on that side of things. I think my wife got stuck for like 40 minutes trying to get through the marathon traffic. So, but, so anyways, it's, uh, it's great to be here with you today. Let me just quickly reiterate um, what Micah was talking about. Really, We're really excited about this next season of prayer that we're about to enter into as a church starting on March 6th, uh, kicking off a season of, 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 of uh, celebrating or... Uh, um, Lent, but through uh, united prayer as a church family, along with uh, praying uh, uh, this, along with this guide that's called "See God for the City," that, that churches all over the na- uh, not just the nation but the world use to to uh, guide their prayers for their city and then for the nations. And so it's going to be a really neat time. Uh, just wanted to again to, to reiterate, mark it on your calendar, March six, that Wednesday night. For the kickoff of our concert of prayer, we did we did one of these last fall. It was one of the highlights of the entire semester. Really awesome time uh, praying together, and really looking forward to that again on March sixth. So that's going to be that's going to be fun. And then also this Thursday, really do want to invite you to join us for uh, third Thursday prayer. So, but having said that, let me uh, jump into the message today. We're going to continue the series that we've been in uh, out of the, the book of Philippians. We're calling uh, the joy a gospel partnership and. In this uh, series, we have, uh, we're, we're coming to chapter 2, all right? So we made it through chapter 1, and the passage that we're going to look at today actually builds off of the passage that Justin taught last week, and, and that passage, it was, he, uh, he, you know, he showed us that this was the very, the very first command in all of the book of Philippians, or Paul's letter in, uh, to the church in Philippi. The first command is given, and the command was this, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, or to put it another way, uh, we should, if you're a Christian, live in a manner or live in a way that aligns with what we believe, with the core of what we believe. And so uh, then what the Apostle Paul does, and Justin did a great job teaching last week, is he, he, he applies that command to how we should relate to those who don't believe what we believe. To those that are like kind of outside of the Christian faith, they're yet to believe that Jesus is a Savior. And he says, okay, for those that don't, don't believe what we believe, and for even if those that don't believe what we believe oppose us, here's how we should relate to them. And he, I mean, again, he, Justin did a great job teaching on that. I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. If you haven't yet, you'll get to hear a very funny story that will make you think twice about how you park on Justin's street or you ever park where he's parking. I mean, it was really great. But uh, anyways, that, that's what Paul gets into right after that very first command. And then he moves to uh, t- t- taking that command, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, and he applies it to how we should relate to another group of people. And that group of people are uh, people within the church people who do believe the same thing about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And he says, okay, this, let me tell you how we, will, how we will relate to one another if we are relating to each other in light of what we believe, if we're conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But let me warn you, the, uh, the, what he says here, it, it includes a couple of the, I think, 
most challenging commands in all of Scripture. Like, I love this passage, but, but not when I actually think about whether I'm doing it or not, all right? Because this is, I mean, it's super challenging. So here's what I want to ask you to do before I read it, and y'all see it already up here, but before I read it to you, <laughs> you've already read it, but um, before I read it, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think about what would the world be like if we all lived this way? If everyone in the world lived According to this instruction, what would the world be like? And I want to tell you to think about that because here's what you will most likely like normally think about. At least this is what I normally think about when I read these commands. I think about how it feels in, like what we're called to do here just feels impossible. <laughs> that's where my mind goes. I read this and I think, man, yeah, that's like thanks, Paul, for just writing down your wishes. I mean, you might as well. And, and also, you know, have world peace. And he could have just ended the command that way. And it's like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. But that's so my mind usually goes, man, it would be incredible if we could do that. But, it, you know, it's not likely. But here's what I want you to think instead. I want you to consider what would the world actually be like if we live this out. Here's what he says. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, what would the world look like if we did that? Now, I know, I know, you got to fight. You got to fight the temptation to think, well, this is just, this is great. Like, yeah, no one can do this, right? I mean, that's, again, that's where my mind goes, especially when you understand what this means, selfish ambition, that idea when he says don't do anything, like never, never do this. Like never do anything motivated out of selfish ambition. The word for selfish ambition can also be translated rivalry or a sense of like one-upmanship. Like don't ever do anything to try to put yourself ahead of someone else. Don't ever do anything out of motivation to try to prove that you are more valuable or you're better than someone else. Don't ever operate with a sense of rivalry. So don't ever try to win that argument. Don't, don't ever try to prove that you, you should go first. Don't, in your marriage, ne- never, never treat your wife or your husband like, okay, no, 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 we should do it my way, <laughs> me before you. Don't ever do that. I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, um, <laughs> good luck with that, right? And then in addition to that, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, and I want to, I want to like raise my hand to that and be like, well, wait, Paul, like, like, like what others, right? I mean, not all others, right? I mean, that's, that's crazy. I, maybe, maybe some others, maybe a very, very small select of others that I could say perhaps they, I could see that they're more valuable than I am, maybe. But like all others, like how often, all the time? Like that's, that's crazy or you know, don't, not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And again, I want to ask, what others? Like, there's got, there's got to be a caveat here. There's got to be an exception to the rule here. I read that and I think, man, this is impossible. But you shouldn't be thinking that, right? Because I told you what to be thinking. You should have been thinking, what would the world look like if we did this? And like, take a minute and just consider, what would the world be like if everyone lived this way? If no one ap- operated a sense of rivalry, one-upmanship, me before you. If it was always, no, no, you ahead of me. If I was always concerned about the, like, treating other people as being valuable instead of trying to prove my value. 
if I would consider and focus myself on meeting others' interests instead of trying to get people to meet my interests, I mean, what would the world be like? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, I mean, just on a macro level, would this not get rid of all racism? Like, of all groups, the groups of people say, no, my group before your group, we are more important than you. And that goes away? No racism. What about gender equality, right? No sexism. If, if everyone said, no, no, my, my gender is more important than your gender, like that, that is, but if it instead was like, no, no, you, you first. I mean, that, that goes away, right? I mean, think about on a, a, between wars, between nations, you know, our needs are better than your needs, so we're going to take what you have. Like, that goes, that goes away. Or on a more micro level, just think about this. If we're operating in this way, we value others above ourselves. If we put others' interests ahead of our own, what does that lead with? What does that result in? No abuse. No rape. No murder. No kidnapping. No slavery of any kind. I mean, just on and on and on. You see, how, you see that? And then just think on a relational level, like on a personal level. Like what would your relationships be like? with your roommate, with your friends, with your neighbors, if you're married, with your spouse, if y'all, if we treated each other like this, I mean, what would that be like? No, no me before you. It's always you before me. No, you before me. No, you. It's, it's what we, at the marriage conference last weekend, we talked, uh, talked about, it's that race to the end of the line. Instead of trying to be first, it's like, no, I want you to go first. I, I want you to have your way. I want you to have your way. Like, if that was what our relations were like, would that not be just incredibly healthy and life-giving and happy if everyone was treating each other like that? <laughs> I think that it's, like, challenging. I mean, I've been thinking about this this whole week, but I think it's extremely challenging to even wrap our mind around what life would be like, how peace-filled, how joy-filled, how healthy. It's the biblical concept of shalom, how we would experience that if we all lived this out. Like even, <laughs> try to add a little humor here, even, even dinner parties would be better. You ever been at a dinner party where you have someone that's just talking about themselves nonstop and you're like, okay, this is, this, like, this is ruining it. I, when I read these verses, I think about this sketch that one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, did years ago when he talks about uh, the me monster. And uh, it's so good, I just want to play it for you. So here, here, just watch this because uh, he's more entertaining than I am. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself. And then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. Oh, well, didn't mean to waste everybody's time. Telling my nothing story. Here. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... 
you, you, you. Okay, you, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition? People get something out of that. That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Oh, really? Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check on, you know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich and I get this Swiss account that I don't want to check out. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition. Might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you know, you know the Pacific Rim Company are going to try to take that over. Global enterprise. walked on the moon. (laughs) Well, you have the floor, moonwalker. (laughs) You know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the sea of tranquility. (laughs) In my lunar rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, why we're the only ones on the moon. I love that. Uh, the, uh, beware of the me monster. I think that this clip, I mean, there's so, so much of it that's, that just cracks me up. But I think that it's, it's also a little ironic. Do you catch it? Because he says, he says this, in this in that clip. He says, you know, why, do, why do people always feel like they have to top one another? I see it all the time, and I just don't get it. But then he goes on to share that he has this social fantasy where he could have the story that would allow him to top all other stories, right? And so he's like, it, it's like this confession that, man, yeah, this me monster, it, it's alive in all of us. Like to some degree or another, every single one of us has this sense where we want to be able to top someone. We want to be able to go first. We, we want to prove that we're better, that we're more valuable. Like that's why Paul has to give this command. When he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, I do nothing out of sense of rivalry, why would he have to tell us that except for the fact that we are driven by that? That there's something in us that wants to be able to top others. And guys, that's what leads to so much damage in our world. I mean, damage in your relationships, relationship at home, relationship at work, relationship just in general in our world today. It's, it's what leads to so much brokenness in the world. And we think, man, well, how do we get past that, right? I think that's what the big question that, you know, that comes to my mind when I read these passages. I think, okay, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than myself, looking not only to my own interests, but the interests of others. I think, how? Like, I mean, that would be great. But how? How is that even possible? Like, why is it just so hard to live this way? Well, I think 
that on a very foundational level, like on a heart level, the answer for why it's so hard to live this way is actually found in these verses. Specifically, it's it's found in verse 3. Because where Paul writes, hey, do nothing out of selfish ambition, he then adds this other phrase, right? Or vain conceit. And this, this word, this Greek word that we translate vain conceit, it is packed with meaning. See, the, the Greek word is the word kinodoxia. Kinodoxia, which literally means, if you're like a literal wooden translation of that, means empty glory. Empty glory. The Greek word for glory is doxa. So kinodoxia, empty glory. And the idea of empty glory, it, it's like let's, what Paul is trying to get at when he says do nothing out of empty glory, he, he's making this incredible, insightful comment about our hearts. Namely, that our hearts are all hungry for glory. That we all want to try to feel glorious, to have a sense of glory. Now, here's the thing. I know none of us actually talk that way or use that word in our mind. No one's walking around being like, man, I know I've been really selfish lately, but it's because I'm just starving for glory. And so that's why I'm, I mean, we don't, we don't think that way. But here's the idea. Biblically speaking, the idea of glory, the concept of glory is that of, of great weight or worth or substance or value or importance. And I think, you know, when you connect those dots, we all feel that, Right? Because don't we all feel, to you know, some degree or another, but I think for most of us, a large degree, that we want to know that we matter. That we want to know that we have some kind of worth. That we're valuable. And so when Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit or empty glory, he's like, don't do anything motivated by trying to prove that you matter by latching on to something that will not prove that you matter, that's empty of the very thing that your heart longs for or hungers for, because we all hunger to know that we have glory, that we have worth, that we matter, that we're important, that we're significant. Friends, that's one of the main reasons, if not the main heart-level reason, why it's so hard to value others above ourselves and look not to our own interests but to the interests of others. For here, here, let me try to connect these dots for you. Listen. For when you are uncertain of your own value, you're unlikely to value others above yourself. That when you're uncertain of your own value, you're going to be unlikely to value others above yourself. Or when you are bent on trying to prove your own value, then you will not be prone to speak value or to show value to others. Because in our hearts, we're hungry to know that we matter and to say, no, I'm going to put myself under someone else actually works against the hunger of our heart. It it feels unpalatable to us. And therefore, it's so difficult to live in such a way where you're going to uh, be putting others ahead of yourself because we have this hunger for glory, this desire to know that we matter and that we're significant. See, I think we're all deeply afraid of not mattering. That's why the worst thing for humans is not being hated or opposed, but it's to be what? Ignored. I think this is why my mentor, Bobby Pruitt, would half, you know, half jokingly, 
uh, say this all the time. He would say, you know, I don't really care what people are saying about me as long as they're talking about me, right? I just want to know that I'm in the conversation. I don't really care if good or bad. I just, I just don't want to be ignored. I, I want to know that we matter. And it, <laughs> this is why I try to get you in touch with this in your heart. Like This is why it eats us up when someone treats us as if we're insignificant. Like, friends, like, try to, try to be way cooler than I am. Um, use this terminology, but... Um, when someone ghosts you, right, and you think, okay, wow, like, seriously, you're not going to return my texts? You're not going to return my calls? Like, you're, you're just, you're going to treat me like I don't even exist any longer? Like, that eats you up. I don't, it eats me up inside. Why? Because that's, that's a statement about, like, I, what, I, you think I don't even matter anymore? Or how about this? You're stuck in traffic. You're trying to exit. You've been in that exit lane for a long time. And then here comes that car shooting down that open lane. It's probably Jason Carroll. And he's going to cut in <laughs> last second and make that exit. And what do you think? You think, what a jerk. But you also think, well, what, you matter more? Like, I mean, it's more important that you get to where you're going before I get to go? Like, like this is a matter. It just eats me up. It's like, or recently, I, last summer, I took the, uh, the boys to Fiesta, Texas. And we um, were in line for a roller coaster, and we'd been, it was a long line. We'd been like 45 minutes, probably had another 45 minutes to go in this line. And a little bit before us, a couple of high school students walk by, and they see a friend of theirs, and they just decide they're going to hop the rails to get in line with their friend. And I'm watching this happen. It's like, you know, five guys in front of me. And it, like, I, I am not okay with that. And so I say something. I'm just like, Hey, guys, like that's, you can't do that. You need to go to the back of the line. You can't cut in front of all of us. And they, they act as if they don't hear me. They're just going to ignore me. And then for the next 45 minutes, in my mind, I'm just thinking about how badly I want to fight them, right? I'm just like literally thinking, I think I could take them all. Like if Camp and Enoch were not here, I bet you I, I, I can't do that in front of them. But, or maybe I should do that in front of them. That would teach them to stand up for justice. And like, I mean, it's just it's in my in my mind, I'm just like, this just eats me up when people treat us like we don't matter. Oh, man. <laughs> Doesn't it just eat you up? This, this is also the reason why this desire for glory, this, this desire to know that we're significant and matter, it's also the reason why we damage our relationships, by fighting to try to win or by refusing to serve refusing to put you know, your spouse or your roommate or your friend ahead of yourself. It's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. There's something about me that fights against that. It's because you, we're glory-hungering. I think about with Krista. We fight, you know, once every five years or something like that. And when we, No. No, we fight, we fight like married couples that love each other, but man, we, it happens. And sometimes when it happens, I get really worked up. And oftentimes when I'm really worked up, I have this thought in my mind. Perhaps you guys can relate. I think, like literally, I have this thought. I'm way more upset about this than I should be. Because I don't even really care about what we're arguing about. At least I don't to the degree that I'm arguing about this thing. But yet, I don't want to let go of it. Because why? Because I want to win. So I want to be right. What is that? That's, that's our need to know we matter, 
That's tied to our need to know that we're significant because when, if I could just win, then I feel like I've accomplished something. And guys, how, how stupid is that? That's vain glory. That's empty glory. That's the me monster in me coming out and holding, latching onto something that will not prove my worth, but I'm so hungry to prove my worth that it keeps me from humbling myself and putting myself below my wife. That's... that's that's why this is so hard. There's, the, perhaps, there's other reasons, but I think this is a main and perhaps the main reason why we struggle living out the commands to do nothing in a selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We have struggled doing that because we are empty of glory. Which then leads to the question, what do we do with that? Like what will enable us to actually live this way? Because we, I mean, I think we agreed, hopefully you were tracking with me, like if everyone were to live this way, everything would be better. I mean, it would be incredible. Our relations would be better. Our world would be better if we could do so. We should want to do that. What will enable us to do that? And guys, let me just say, though most of y'all know where I'm going <laughs> This is one of the most beautiful aspects of all Christianity. Because Christianity provides an answer to this question that I, like, nothing else I've ever come across, and I've studied tons of stuff, nothing comes close to providing the answer that's found in Christianity. The answer that says, the answer for the question, like, what will enable us to be able to live this selfless kind of you-first attitude instead of me-first attitude? And here's the answer. It's actually found in this passage. It's where Paul goes next. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, he says this. He says, you're, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he explains what Christ Jesus did. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now next week, we're going to come back to this passage, okay? This passage is so, so, so theologically rich, and there's lots of application that comes from this. So we're going to come back to this. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to connect the dots like Paul was connecting the dots. When he wrote these words right after calling us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but a humility to consider others as more important than ourselves, Look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others that he says our attitude and our relationships should be that of Christ Jesus. Because here's what Christ Jesus did for us. He, being God, in the very nature of God, statement about the divinity of Jesus, did not hold on to that. Did not try to use that to his own advantage, which he had every right to do because he's God. And so he has every right to say, no, you exist for me. You serve me, you worship me, me, God, before you, creation. That makes sense. That's rational. But then he says, no, no, I'm not going to hold on to that. And he humbled himself. God humbled himself. And he, he took on flesh 
And he lived and then died as a servant for you. Now hear this. God served you. What will enable us? What will free us? What will make it possible for us to put others ahead of, our, of ourselves? Only when you are absolutely certain that you're valuable. And the only way you will know that you matter much, enough, definitively, authoritatively for you to free your heart to serve others is if you know God died for you. God, creator of the universe, sustainer of all things, supreme being, served you. Served you. Do you matter? Friends, you matter more than you realize. According to who? According to the one whose opinion actually trumps all others' opinion of you. The one who can give the definitive verdict. You're significant. You matter. You matter much. You're valuable. Because when that comes home to your heart, then now you're freed. Now I am freed to be able to put others ahead of myself from a place of strength. Because I no longer have to have this question in me of like, well, what, what, am, I putting them, am I putting them before me because they actually matter more than I do? Or, but what if I do that and then I feel like I don't matter, I'm not valuable? No, no, no. Now we're saying, oh, I fully matter. I couldn't matter more. And now, yeah, I can do this because I don't lose anything when I do this. Now, now I actually just get to model what my God did for me, the God who has definitively declared with all authority that I matter much. That's the freedom that we have as believers. I go back to the, the um, Brian Regan clip, and he says, okay, you know, my social fantasy is that I have you know, this trump card in my, my back pocket that I can let anyone be the me monster, and then I can just you know, sit back and think, well, I landed on the moon, so I'll just let them do their thing, and then I'm going to swoop in, and I will win because I've landed on the moon. So I can, I can sit with a place of strength and listen to all of this stuff, knowing that I'm, you know, I actually am the one that matters more in all these situations because look what I've done. For us, it's even better than that because for believers, when you, when you actually grasp what this means for us, that Jesus died for us, then, then you can sit back and let and people go ahead of you. You can uh, encourage them to go ahead of you. You can place yourself below them as much as you, as much as you want, as much as you can, because you're always operating from a place of strength. And the strength isn't now, at some point, I'm going to trump everyone because, hey, Jesus died for me. No, Jesus died for all of us. But that definitively declares that we matter to God, that we matter, period. And therefore, we have that always to rest upon so that we are thinking, okay, I, I don't have to insert myself first. Because I just have this confidence, not that I landed on the moon with something better. God died for me. God served me. And operate from a place of strength. Now hear this. I know for many of y'all, that's not new news to you. 
And the danger of that is that you can forget this or it can lose its meaning. But don't do that. Because when this loses its meaning or you forget it, then you will, because you have a hunger for glory, you will turn to other empty things, vain glories, to try to prove your significance. And it's not going to work, and it's going to lead to more and more brokenness. We have to remember. We have to keep going back. We have to meditate on. We need to chew on this regularly to remember that this is the truth. I matter much. The question of whether I am significant has been answered because of Jesus. And we feast on that. I think Paul knows how important it was for for believers to think about the implications of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that's why I think he begins this passage. I skipped over it earlier, but why he begins this passage the way he does. He starts Philippians 2 out by asking a bunch of questions. Um, He asks the questions. uh, He says, uh, therefore, if any... Uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, like if, if you have any of that, or if you have any comfort from his love, or if there's any common sharing in the spirit, or if there's any tenderness and compassion, and what he's doing by putting these in question form, and they're rhetorical questions, but he's saying, okay, if, if this, if this, he's trying to get his, his audience, and since we are now his audience, he's trying to get us to think about what comes as a result of what Jesus has done for us. Like to think, okay, if this is true, then is there any encouragement for being united with Christ? Well, we should all say, yes, there is incredible encouragement. It's this encouragement that we're talking about, that we matter to God because look what Jesus did in order for us to be united with him. I mean, that's one of the most incredibly encouraging aspects. So yeah, I think about that. I think if there is any of this, well, yeah, you know, there is (laughs) lots more more found here than anywhere else. Or if there's any, you know, comfort from his love. Well, yeah, yeah, there's comfort from his love. Yes. And I'm asking myself these questions or I'm letting Paul ask me these questions to get me to think about these truths. Yeah, the the love of Jesus is better than any love I've ever longed for. He loves, he loves, he knows me fully and loves me fully. That's the love that I've always longed for. Yeah, there's comfort and his love. So much comfort that if people treat me like I don't matter, I don't have to begin questioning whether I do matter. I'm comforted. And it's not easy to be treated that way, but now I'm not spiraling because, no, I know I'm comforted by God's love, which allows me to stand up and and persevere when someone else is treating me poorly. If there's any sharing in the Spirit, like if if you have the Holy Spirit, you've trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, we're told that God the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, comes to dwell within you. Like God is with you wants to be with you. Like, is, there, is, is that not proof that you matter to God? Like, he would want to be with you. Is there, is, oh, you start thinking about these implications that just blows you away. And again, it allows you to operate from a place of strength. I can put others ahead of myself because I know, I'm certain that I am significant, that I matter. One of the most wild statements Jesus makes in his ministry on earth was right before the night 
or it was the night that he was going to be betrayed, the, day, the night before he'd be crucified. And he knows that that's going to happen. And he says this. He's praying to the Father. And I don't, I don't even pretend that I fully understand what he's saying here. But I know that it's, uh, it's, it's better than what I realize. Because here's what he prays. He says, Father, I have given them, talking about anyone who's placed their faith in him, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Because we are hungry for glory. We are hungry to know that we matter. And God of the universe says, I've given you the glory that the Father has given me. You matter so much I've served you. You matter so much I died for you. That you could be reconciled to me. That you can be adopted into my family. The Spirit could come and dwell within you. You matter. You matter. And it's when that comes home to your heart that the rest of this passage becomes a real possibility. You're enabled to do it. He goes on, he says, Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, when you're confident of your value, you can, in humility, value others above yourself. For as it's been said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And you are freed to think of yourself less when you don't feel the need to prove your worth. Guys, this is what we need. When the church, the people that, that have recognized that we've been loved this way are operating out of this love, then we can relate like this. And when we relate like that, we have a taste of the kingdom of God. And we can be a city on a hill. We can be a light to the world. And they can be drawn in to say, man, these people, they're operating from this place that they know that they matter, which is enabling them to serve others. That's attractive. And the gospel can advance. Man, let's live this way. Because Jesus died for you to enable you to live this way. Here's what I want to encourage you to do with all this. For application, each day this week, I want you to say this to yourself. Okay, jot it down, take a picture of this, but here's what I want you to say. I matter so much that Jesus died for me. Say it to yourself every day. Say it over and over again. Say it as many times as you need to throughout the day. Make it come home from your head to your heart. I matter so much that Jesus died for me. There's no other proof. There's nothing that can prove your your worth more than this statement that God would die for you. I matter so much Jesus died for me. Say this until you're believing and operating out of this truth. And then look for opportunities to show people how valuable they are by the words you say and the way you consider their interests ahead of your own. If you do this first, then this will follow from a place of strength. 
We're going to end the morning or end the message by taking communion. And guys, when we take communion, this is what we're remembering. We're remembering Jesus, his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us. He served us that we can be reconciled to him, having our sins forgiven by his death in our place on the cross. When Jesus gathered his friends on the night of Passover to celebrate Passover, he, he, he instituted this. And when he took the bread, he broke it. He said this, this is my body, which is what? For you. This represents Jesus dying for you. As when you take communion this morning, here's what I want you to do. As you hold the bread, you hold the cup, say to yourself, this was for me. Jesus died for me. I matter much. And then celebrate. And then go serve others from a place of strength. Let's pray. The communion table will be open to everyone in the front or in the back. Just ask that you place your faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, that you actually you know, mean what we're celebrating here. Heavenly Father, God, we, uh, we, want, <laughs> we want this to be true in our lives and true in our world. That if everyone operated this way, things would be so much better. <laughs> but God, we recognize that we can't do it, but because of what you have done for us, it is possible. God, will you help us believe that this is, this is true? That Jesus, you died for us, that, that that is the definitive word of whether we matter. Or may we walk in confidence of that, and may it lead us, free us to be able to put others ahead of ourselves. Whether we can, in our relationships, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus because of what Christ Jesus did for us. So as we celebrate communion, God, will you bring this home to our hearts to another degree? Or that we would know that we matter much. Or that that would lead us to worship you and lead us to go serve others. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.